You're listening to Ideas on Europe, a podcast by UACES, the Membership Association for Contemporary European Studies. Welcome to this podcast. We're at the UACES Graduate Forum Conference 2019 at Manchester Metropolitan University. I'm here with Daniel Neat from the University of Portsmouth. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you very much. And with Alina Felder from Bamberg Graduate School of Social Sciences. Welcome, Alina. Thank you very much. Higher education in Europe is a central theme for both of your doctoral research areas. And both of you are looking at higher education institutions in the context of regions, networks and cross-border cooperation. Could you each briefly introduce your research question? Let's start with you, Alina. Thank you very much for this introduction. I am indeed looking at cross-border cooperation of universities to find out how integrating the area of higher education in EU regional policy impacts cross-border cooperation in higher education in the first place and subsequently the development of EU higher education policy. This question is relevant because uh, despite the integration of higher education in EU regional policy, little research has been dedicated uh, towards the relationship between policy frameworks for regional development and specific policy areas such as higher education. And my objective is to uncover how regional policy as a traditional and strong EU policy influences European cooperation in the area of higher education. Thank you, Alina. Daniel, same question for you. Lovely. Thank you for the introduction, opportunity to be able to take part. Uh, specifically, my research is focusing on why and to what extent higher education institutions are involved in regional networks and whether their participation is a determinant of regional network sustainability. Um, I look forward to going into more detail about my topic during the recording today. Alina, can you set the scene of how the EU is involved in the area of higher education? Sure. Um, while the responsibility for education and training systems lies with individual states, the role of the EU is to support and supplement uh, their capacity. And when setting the scene of how the EU is involved in the area of higher education, there are four elements that are of importance. Firstly, the EU supports member states uh, through policy cooperation via the Education and Training 2020 framework, for example, and secondly, through funding instruments. These include the Erasmus Plus program and uh, also the European Structural and Investment Funds. Thirdly, the EU is helping to build a European education area as established by the Bologna process to strengthen educational outcomes and learning mobility and also to facilitate the mutual recognition of diplomas. And fourth and lastly, education and training are also a critical facet of the EU's broader socio-economic agenda this agenda includes uh, the Europe 2020 strategy and uh, the European semester for the coordination of member states' economic policies. As a result, education is an issue that overarches several measures. The EU is involved in to create competitiveness in the EU, and um, this relates to the funding instruments where I would like to focus on European territorial cooperation. So what is European Territorial Cooperation and what is the role of higher education within it? So increased competitiveness in the EU is based on decreasing regional disparities, which is the objective of EU cohesion policy. It has two major goals, um, the investment in employment and growth, as well as regional development through European Territorial Cooperation programs, which are better known as Interreg to most uh, people, um, over time, these projects have gained in scope, both in terms of the funds that they are allocated and in terms of the topics they address. 
With the two most recent reforms, EU cohesion policy took a strategic turn towards the overarching Lisbon and Europe 2020 strategies of the EU, within the reasoning that EU cohesion policy invests in people's skills and competences to ensure the long-term competitiveness of Europe, education and training has become a priority for cohesion policy until 2020. Um, what does that mean when it comes to concrete activities? This may be best illustrated by shedding a light on how universities cooperate across borders, since as the major knowledge-producing institutions, they have been identified as the key actors for sustaining economic competitiveness. So how do universities in Europe cooperate across borders? So the international mobility of students and researchers is a long-standing phenomenon, but it is only during the last decades or so that the provision of cross-border education is increasing. There have been many attempts to grasp cross-border education conceptually, wherefrom I would like to stick to Chain Knight's framework, which is based on the movement of people, programs, providers and projects. Each aspect is a means to engage in cross-border cooperation, whereas in Europe the support of the EU may or may not come in. While the mobility of people is mainly addressed by the Erasmus Plus program, of course, prominent examples for program mobility are joint degree programs. When getting closer to provider mobility and narrowing down the definition, there are two types of cooperation which would label themselves as cross-border universities. Um, the first type is closely connected to provider mobility, which refers to universities opening up a branch of their campus in a neighboring country. This is the case, for example, for the European University Viadrina, which was essential for the establishment of uh, the Collegium Polonicum across the border in Poland. The second type are networks of institutions from neighboring states, which cooperate across a common border, which offer joint programs and often focus on a specific region. Following a study of the Association of European Border Regions, there are about 30 such cross-border university networks in Europe. To get back to European territorial cooperation, the EU structural funds and notably the European Regional Development Fund have come in to implement such networks. Two examples to illustrate this are the University of the Greater Region, which involves six higher education institutions from Belgium, Germany, France and Luxembourg. And the other example is the International University Lake Constance, which is a cooperation among 30 higher education institutions from Austria, Germany, Liechtenstein and Switzerland. While the University of the Greater Region was only established due to EU structural funding, the International University Lake Constance was already established prior to receiving EU regional development funding. The cooperation frameworks do not only differ in terms of the number of higher education institutions that are involved, but also in terms of the manner of cooperation, which ranges from the offer of joint study programs towards research projects between the higher education institutions and also companies of the respective region. So in some, I would say that there is no single manner of cross-border cooperation of universities in Europe. However, one may note that the EU is more and more embarking on uh, cross-border cooperation in higher education. And this has become clear with the latest EU initiative of the so-called European universities, where the EU demonstrates the willingness to really institutionalize cross-border cooperation of universities in Europe. And once implemented this initiative, so the European universities will be transnational alliances of higher education institutions that then develop a long-term structural cooperation and offer, for example, complementary curricula and joint degrees. 
Alina, you were looking at the concept of competitiveness in the EU at the intersection of regional and higher education policy. Can you expand on this for us? Sure. I mean, I already argued that the conditionality that EU's policies shall contribute to overall objectives has become a guiding principle for regional development. The objective to foster regional development through strengthened cooperation in higher education essentially is due to the concept of competitiveness that guides EU policies with the help of governance architectures. So governance architectures are defined as strategic and long-term political initiatives on cross-cutting policy issues locked in commitments about targets and processes. With the Lisbon strategy and also Europe 2020, governance architectures have gained of importance for EU policymaking and implementation, and their adoption has also led to the acceptance that knowledge and higher education matter for competitiveness in Europe. EU regional policy and also EU higher education policy have become explicitly linked to each other through a collective frame of reference, if you would like to say so. And for the case of the Lisbon strategy, this collective frame is competitiveness. Um, the frame was confirmed with the adoption of uh, the Europe 2020 strategy. And existing research considers how this matters for specific EU policy areas. However, how governance architectures have led to increased interdependencies of policy areas the EU is engaged in has been overlooked so far, and I hope to contribute to this debate with my research and at this perspective. Thank you, Alina. Daniel, you are looking at a different kind of cross-border higher education network. Can you explain what a regional office or regional network is, and how and why do universities participate in these? Certainly. So when we talk about a regional office, uh, we're referring specifically to an office which represents the interests of a specific geographical region. In Brussels, for example, there are 15 UK regional offices, uh, according to the 2018 Committee of the Regions database. However, this is subject to change in the current Brexit environment. These regional offices represent the interests of particular geographical regions. So my research will analyse two regional offices, Southern England Local Partners, SELP, and the Greater Birmingham and West Midlands office. It's worth noting that since starting my PhD, um, Southern England Local Partners has in fact closed and reopened as the Hampshire Brussels office. Um, naturally, of course, the membership has since changed. The former SELP represent, regional representation was led by Hampshire County Council and regionally represented the counties of Surrey, Hampshire, Dorset, Gloucestershire and West Sussex. This office was a membership model with members from business intermediaries, local government and universities across southern England paying on a five-tier membership level. As members of a regional office, universities were able to have the Southern England regional brand identity, with the office having access to the European institutions and wider European networks. This allowed further promotion, funding opportunities for universities across Southern England. Um, this model is the same for all UK regional offices. In the case of regional networks, regional networks do not have the brand of a regional office and the political attachment that a regional office has, led by a local authority. For example, a European regional network could focus on a particular thematic area, which universities may have an interest in. This leads to my third case study, the White Rose Consortium, which is a specific regional network focusing on the interests of the universities of Leeds, Sheffield and York. Who exactly do these offices and networks represent and what is their importance? So regional offices, as just discussing now, represent members who are from a particular geographical region. 
Regional offices also have specific political ties, with membership of these offices supporting collaboration, partnership and funding opportunities within the region. These are platforms for trans-regional networking and of course then have the importance of that regional representation in Brussels. Regional networks, on the other hand, are more open platforms without the local government-led model of a regional office. They are specific membership networks which offer a particular regional forum based on the thematic area. Hypothetically, as my research continues to develop, I hypothesise that UK universities may choose to engage in regional networks as opposed to regional offices if UK regional offices are affected by Brexit. So one of the things that obviously has been a notable change has indeed been the closure of the SELP office. What I will then start to do now is to research that change and to look at the New Hampshire Brussels office, which has reopened recently. So you've touched on this a little bit. Why and to what extent are higher education institutions involved in regional networks? And is their participation a determinant of the sustainability of a regional network? So as I'm at the early stages of my research, I can only comment so far in how universities have supported and continue to support UK regional offices. UK universities can have a specific regional representation in Brussels, which gives them access to specific regional knowledge from Brussels. In the case of UK regional offices, the membership model has financially sustained UK regional offices in Brussels. Political leadership and membership engagement commitment is key for UK regional success. In the case of SELP, SELP could no longer sustain itself with membership decline. As my research continues to develop, it will be necessary to compare the increase slash decline of universities between the regional network model and regional office model. What has the impact of the Brexit vote been so far on UK higher education regional networks? So, yep, so what I've noticed to date is, in fact, that there are different situations for my case studies. So I've noticed that, obviously, for Southern and local partners, um, the membership has, in fact, closed. The office no longer exists in its former model. However, the Hampshire Brussels office has reopened now. Um, and when I look at my second case study, which is the Greater Birmingham West Midlands office, um, I see an office that is thriving still, even though it is a UK regional office um, and has recently recruited. So why is this the case? Um, what I want to really understand further is how and why universities may well choose to join a regional network as opposed to um, a regional office, because it may well be the case that an office which is not politically driven is in fact joined through a thematic area may well succeed for um, for the future post-Brexit. So as my research continues um, I'll be looking at the effects of Brexit on regional offices and to try and establish whether the political relationship has indeed contributed to regional office changes and I think what will be interesting to see when we look at regional representation is how, as these continue to change and develop, how former members are now represented in Brussels. So as I previously touched on earlier, UK regional offices are membership-based offices. So the universities of the former CELP representation, what will happen to them now? And this is not specifically for CELP, this is for the wider UK, UK regional office base. Danielle and Alina, thank you so much for your time and talking to us today about your research. And thank you to everyone listening. For more UACs podcasts, visit uaces.org forward slash podcast. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes.